Please join me in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us uh, to see you, to see your world the way that you do, that we might spread the news of your goodness and your glory and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah and the big fish. It's got to be one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, doesn't it? But I want to suggest it's not really about Jonah. And it's not really about the fish either. It's a story about God. A story about God's mercy. About his heart for the lost. His willingness to go to extraordinary lengths to forgive. Jonah is simply there in the story by way of comparison to God. Jonah is the judgmental one called to deliver God's message of mercy. He's the unforgiving one called to deliver God's message of forgiveness. He's the racist called to deliver God's message of love to the foreigner. Jonah may have his name in the title, but he's hardly the star of this show. It's a story that makes fun of Jonah. We're meant to look at Jonah and laugh to recognise how, how, how ridiculous it is for Jonah to run away from God. How hypocritical it is for him to plead for his own life, yet not be willing to plead for the lives of the lost. And how blind and out of step with God he is when he's angry that God shows mercy. Jonah is a prophet, all right, but he's not a very good one. And just about everyone else in this story comes off smelling sweeter, literally, looking, uh, than Jonah does. You see, Jonah is not the book that you study for tips on how to do effective evangelism or how to do ministry in urban areas or cross-cultural mission. It's really the opposite. How not to do those things. Let's study Jonah by all means, but let's learn from him what not to do because it's rather really about a good missionary God rather than a good missionary. Well, let's set the scene. We don't know a lot about Jonah. Uh, in fact, there's only one other reference in the Old Testament to him. Uh, it's in 2 Kings 14.25. Uh, and just as an aside, it tells us that Jonah was a prophet in a little town up near the Sea of Galilee called gath Hepha. Uh, that was in the northern kingdom of Israel. It was during the time of King Jeroboam II, somewhere around 800 to 750 BC. Now, this was a time when people needed some encouragement. Uh, the king was evil. There was a bitter civil war with Judea. But to make matters worse, the nation of Assyria was threatening on Israel's northern border. Now, Assyria uh, was vicious and greedy, uh, Assyria had a reputation for being ruthless in battle. Uh, historians tell us that when they captured a town in battle, they would impale any survivors on stakes in front of the town uh, or else they'd cut off their heads and wear them around their necks. And the centre of the whole show was Assyria's capital. Can you guess what its name was? It was Nineveh. Uh, listen to what the prophet Nahum says about the city of Nineveh. Nahum chapter 3. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, 
the crack of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a harlot, alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. That's Nineveh. So it's perhaps not surprising what we read in the first couple of verses of Jonah. Have a look at it with me. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God has seen the great wickedness of Nineveh just as he sees everything and he's had enough and he decides to do something about it. His patience has run out. Nineveh needs to know what God thinks about their sin. So he's going to send them a message. Now this is where Jonah comes in. Jonah the Israelite. Jonah from the nation who's next in line to be conquered by Assyria. From the nation who hates them. What was God thinking? Do you ever wonder whether God has made a mistake with you? You look at who you are, you look at the job that he's offering you and you just shake your head. Perhaps you say, I couldn't possibly teach that scripture class or lead that Bible study or that youth group. I couldn't possibly witness to that person at work or go to Bible college and train for full-time service. I couldn't possibly go door knocking or, or stand up for Jesus in front of my friends. It must be a mistake. God must have chosen the wrong person. And yet that's the way God so often works. He uses the willing rather than the worthy. He uses the enthusiastic rather than the equipped. God often uses people that we'd least expect to do work we'd least expect to achieve his wonderful unexpected outcomes. Are you missing out on being part of God's purposes because you think it's, you're not up to it? Because you're waiting until you're worthy and equipped? What is it God wants you to do? Where does he want you to step out in faith and trust him? Well, back to Jonah. So what's God's command? Go to Nineveh and preach against it. He literally tells Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh. Well, what does Jonah do? Well, he arises all right. Look at verse three. three. He gets up to go down. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Version, which makes this a little bit more obvious. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God says go up and go to Nineveh, but Jonah goes down instead, and down and down. But that's not all. God says go to Nineveh, and Jonah heads for Tarshish. God says go east, Jonah goes west. It's completely in the other direction, to the other end of the known world. You can hardly find two places further apart. This is a complete rejection of God's plans. Now, we don't know why Jonah disobeys. At this stage, we can only guess. 
We have to wait till chapter 4 to find out. But it's fair to say he doesn't like Assyrians. Perhaps he's lazy. Maybe he's shy. But for whatever reason, he heads in the other direction. And why? Verse 3 tells us, to flee from the Lord. To go somewhere God isn't. What was Jonah thinking? Because there's nowhere God isn't. There's nowhere his eye doesn't see, his ear doesn't hear, his hand can't reach. Playing hide-and-seek with God is a game you'll never win. Now that's something Jonah discovers pretty quickly. Verse 4. God sends a wind, blows up a great storm, just as easily as you or I may make some waves in the bathtub. It's a pretty impressive storm too because even the professional uh, sailors are afraid. Verse 5, the sailors dial the wrong number. They pray to their gods, each to his own idol. There they all are, lined up on the deck, one idol after another. Perhaps there are even some Assyrian sailors there from Nineveh, praying to their god, Dagon, who was half man, half fish. So perhaps they thought they would have been in with a chance of being heard. But none of the gods can do anything in the face of this storm. And then in the end, along with the rest of the luggage, the gods, the idols, are thrown overboard because they're useless. The storm drags on. Eventually the sailors find Jonah asleep below deck. He's gone down again. And once again the call comes, arise, up, get up. Firstly, God has told him to arise and now the, the, the boat's captain says arise. Jonah seems to spend most of his time lounging around and being told to get up. And the captain says, says verse 6, call on your God. We've tried ours. Maybe yours will take notice and rescue us. He's asked to call out to his God. It's the same command God asks back in verse 2, to call out against Nineveh. But Jonah's not interested in calling out to anyone, to Nineveh, to God. And so they cast lots to see who's responsible for the storm. And since God is in control of everything, he makes the lot fall on Jonah. It's his fault. And then comes 20 questions from the sailors. Verse 8, who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? What is your country? What is your nationality? And then Jonah answers. God commanded him to proclaim back in verse 2, but these are his first words. They've been a long time coming, but they're hardly worth the wait. Verse 9, he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. You could have fooled me. His words are saying that he worships the Lord, but his actions say something different. He's worshipping God. If by worshipping you mean running away from him in the other direction, ignoring him and doing anything rather than obey... But that's sometimes what we do, though, isn't it? Our words say we're Christian, but our actions say something different. That's what it was like for me when I was uh, at high school, until I was about 15. 
I was trying to be one thing on a Sunday, Mr Super Christian, who fitted in there. But I was being something different for the rest of the week, trying to fit in with my friends. Uh, I was no different from them at all. I was saying one thing, but I was living another. I was talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Maybe it's time for you to get serious about your actions measuring up to your words. I wonder whether a non-Christian friend or family member has ever said to you something like this, what are you doing that for? I thought Christians were supposed to be different. And it's true, we are supposed to be different. And so sometimes those comments and observations are right. What message are your actions speaking? But back to Jonah, whose words and actions are sending different messages. Look at what Jonah calls God. Even when his actions are saying the wrong thing, he does get God right. He's the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. He's not a tribal God like the other idols. He's not a local mini-god. He's not minister in charge of crops or rains or wine or the sea or fertility. This is the, the one God, the supreme God, the God of heaven, the creator God. He's not like Dagon who swims around in the sea. This is the God who made the sea and the creatures who swim in it, which we'll see later. So he's the God who demands and deserves allegiance and righteousness from everyone, not just from one nation, from Assyrians as well as Israelites. And while Jonah may not realise the significance of his words, the sailors certainly do. Look at verse 10. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them. You're trying to run away from the God who made everything. Where did you think you could go? And you're running away on the ocean from the God who made the ocean. You're an idiot, they're saying. Well, meanwhile, the storm is getting wilder. So Jonah comes up with a solution. Now, if it was me, my solution, perhaps, I'm hoping, would have been to pray to God that he would calm the storm, I would stay on the ship, at the next port I'd get off and I'd head to Nineveh. That seems like a solution, but not to Jonah. He, he refuses to pray. Instead, verse 12, his solution is that the sailors throw him overboard, then the sea will calm down. I think he's expecting to die. He may even think... Uh, it's the only, uh, that it's his only way of actually not having to go through with God's plan and going to Nineveh. Jonah would rather die than deliver God's message. Uh, apparently Jonah is like 23% of people in a survey whose greatest fear is public speaking. Now what that means is that they fear public speaking more than they do dying. They would rather die than speak in public. And it seems as if Jonah's the same. But these sailors are noble men. They're better men than Jonah. They're not giving up, even if Jonah has. They don't want to see anyone perish. So verse 13, they bend their backs even harder. They try to row out of trouble, but it doesn't make any difference. And not just that, they'll do what Jonah won't do. They will pray to Jonah's God. 
verse 14, the word for cried to the Lord is proclaim or called out. It's the same word that the captain wanted Jonah to do back in verse 6, to call out to God. But the Jonah who says he worships God, he won't. He won't pray. He, he leaves the praying up to these Gentile sinners. Look at verse 14. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And the God who's, God, who's the God of every nation, answers their prayer. And the God who made the sea finally gets Jonah. And it appears as if the very bad prophet Jonah has his first converts without a prayer being offered, at least not a prayer from Jonah. Jonah, disobedient, without compassion, prayerless. And yet Jonah is the means that God uses to bring these Gentile sailors to fear God. Look at verse 16. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. God even uses sinful Jonah to achieve his purposes. God is such a skilled craftsman. He can even use the dullest, bluntest, most bent tool to fashion something wonderful. In fact, God glories in using such poor instruments because that way uh, he's the one who gets all the glory. But God's not finished with Jonah yet. This uh, was only the trial run, remember. Uh, the destination is Nineveh and he's a long way from Nineveh and he's bobbing up and down in the ocean. But once again, it's God who's in control. Verse 17, he provides a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah is on his way again. But that's another story, and you'll need to wait till next week. So what's the point of chapter 1? It's this. If God can use Jonah then God can use you. Jonah is meant to be an encouragement to us, not because he's such a great example to follow, but because he's the opposite. We're meant to look at Jonah and laugh. Jonah's not interested in anyone but himself. He's quite happy operating in his own comfortable, controlled area. He doesn't particularly want to be stretched or pushed or challenged. He doesn't want to be involved in God's plans. He's not interested in obeying God. He thinks he can run away from God and do his own thing. Now, aren't we all of those things, at least sometimes? Just imagine if God had called you to go to Kabul in Afghanistan and to preach judgment to the fighters of the Taliban. How different would your reaction be to Jonah's? I think if we're honest, probably not much different. How encouraging that God still pursued Jonah, still used him despite his failings. He pursues him relentlessly. He works storms and dice and giant fish so that Jonah can't get away. And God wants to use us too. 
This is the wonderful God we serve, a God who's interested in the fate of all human beings from every country across the world. This is the God who works his plans so that people everywhere might come to recognise his majesty and might and power. And just like the sailors in the boat come to fear him and offer their lives to him and vow to serve him. If you're not a Christian, perhaps God is working circumstances in your life so that you may learn to fear him. Perhaps God is at work in jobs and storms and difficulties, in happy circumstances, in meeting new people and losing things and finding things. God can use all sorts of things to move you towards himself. Perhaps God is even at work in a global pandemic to be moving you towards him. God loves you so much, he would do anything. In fact, he did for you. Not just sending Jonah from Galilee, but sending Jesus from heaven, his only son, to die a criminal's death, to win you to himself. That's how much you mean to him, despite your failings, despite your rebellion and running away from him. Will you accept his gift of forgiveness? But if you are a Christian, just like Jonah, you have a part to play in these plans of God, introducing people to the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Jesus commands us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything he's commanded us. He commands us to get up and to go out. He calls us to move beyond our comfort zones and beyond our areas of expertise, even right here in Ashfield, in our streets, to our friends and our neighbours. Will we obey him or will we run away? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a great God you are. Help us to see you Help us to see your world, a world full of lost people, a world for whom you sent Jesus to die and help us to obey your command to go. Amen.